0: This morning's scripture reading is from Daniel chapter 12, verses one through 13. It can be found on page 750 in the Black Bibles. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Patrick, so much. Well, this is
1: it. The end of Daniel. And, uh, you know, it's 1113, so I strategically had some baptisms, first communions, maybe a little congregational meeting in there, you know, to uh, divert a little bit from the fact that this is really confusing. Um, But I really want to conclude our series on Daniel by focusing on Just a couple of main points, really, in this, because I want to leave us with some things that are concrete to walk away uh, from this book with. So let's uh, pray and ask God to help us, and then we'll dive in here to the last chapter of Daniel. Lord Jesus, we do thank you that you are the one who conquers, that you are the one who at the end of time returns And you set to rights everything that is wrong. You conquer the devil and evil and even death itself is defeated. And those who trust in you rise again to eternal life. That is our hope, Father. Help us to live our lives now in light of this hope in the future. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We live in confusing times. It's hard to live in this world. If you're a follower of Jesus, it's hard to live in this world. If you're not a follower of Jesus, guess what? It is hard to live in this world. It's hard to know what to believe. It's hard to know who to listen to. It's hard to know what to do in particular situations. And we are confronted, especially those who count themselves to be followers of Jesus, we are confronted day in and day out with deeply, deeply confusing messages and deeply, deeply confusing and divergent paths to live, both ethically but also with respect to what to think and what to believe. The good news about that something that everybody really knows that is so difficult to know how to live in this world is that the entire book of Daniel is about that. The entire 12 chapters of Daniel, as confusing as they can sometimes be, really can be summarized in a question. And that question is, how do you live With faithfulness to Christ, we're on this side of the cross. Daniel was on the other side of the cross, but the question is still valid. How do you live in faithfulness to Christ in a world that is in many ways set against Him, that in many ways is fighting against God and His purposes? That's really what Daniel is all about. All 12 chapters, both the the narrative parts that are familiar to us and these last parts that are uh, really focused on visions of things that are happening in the future. The point for us is that following Jesus in the city of Houston in 2019 is challenging. But here's the truth. Following Jesus... Since his death and resurrection has always been challenging. It simply is not true to believe that we live in particularly difficult times to follow Jesus. Culture in America is definitely changing. But that does not mean that for most of the world since the first century to follow Jesus faithfully has been to put yourself in harm's way. To put yourself in the way of suffering and in the way of pain. When Christians have felt safe, it is more likely that they have mistaken comfort and probably the complacency that results from comfort. They've mistaken that for faithfulness and the call to follow Jesus As a disciple. And here is what the Bible testifies to it will be like this all the time until Jesus returns. So, the question for you and for me becomes this, and this is the question again that lies at the heart of the entire book of Daniel. And it's only natural that this is exactly where this book concludes. How do we live as followers of Jesus in a world that opposes Jesus? jesus daniel chapter 12 actually has the answer to this question it's an important question it's so important that we can quote from verse 13 in daniel 12 verbatim to answer it this is what the angelic being says to daniel in this regard he says go your way until the end (laughs) and you shall rest and you shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days So let's turn that sentence around. The sentence, if you put it backwards, says this. You shall have rest. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you have committed your life to him by faith, you shall have rest. You will rest for all eternity with your Savior in heaven. Therefore, because that is true in the future, therefore now, live your life faithfully now. In the midst of the mess and the confusion and the suffering of this world in light of the uncertainty that surrounds us live with faithfulness. That first statement is verse 13 is really the bedrock for one who follows Jesus. It solidifies everything the entire book of Daniel is trying to communicate to us. You shall rest. Jesus will be victorious. When he returns, he will defeat death itself. He will defeat Satan. Everything that is wrong in the world, everything that is broken in this world will be put to right. You shall rest. What we are called to do as followers of Jesus is to live our lives now in light of the certainty of the future. And I say that because it is very easy to get bogged down in the minutia of Daniel chapter 12. Uh, Actually, in all of Daniel, beginning in chapter 7. But if you get confused, or you get bogged down, or you decide that that Daniel chapter 7 through 12 or some kind of an intricate code like a Rubik's Cube, and if you can get all the squares lined up, you can know exactly what the future is going to hold. You'll actually miss the point. In fact, and this is one of the things I love about Daniel, Did you, Daniel received these visions, right? He's standing there. He's the one who's receiving them. He writes them down. But do you know, did you pick up in the reading of chapter 12? And this has actually happened multiple times in the last several verses. Daniel confesses that he doesn't understand, right? He says it. Verse 8, I heard but I did not understand. He says it twice in chapter 12. He says it in in another time as well. He's getting these visions, he's writing it down, but he's going, I don't know what's going on here. I'm just writing these things down that I'm seeing. And so he asked this heavenly being who presented this message to clarify it for him. I don't understand. Will you please tell me exactly what this means? And the angel says, no. No. He says, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Now this is important, and I want us to spend a little bit of time here. Because admittedly, there are other parts of the Bible that do shed some light on what is taught here in these visionary parts of of Daniel, um, particularly but not exclusively in the New Testament book of Revelation. But there is no part of the Bible, including Revelation, that provides absolute certainty on all of the issues that surround what theologians call eschatology, which is the study of the end times, the end of time when Jesus will return. And there's that resulting final battle between Jesus and Satan, where Satan is fully defeated and death is defeated and it ushers in the new heavens and the new earth. And And there's nothing in the Bible that would encourage you to treat these passages like a mystery to be solved or a road map so that you can try to place contemporary events in light of where they fit in the puzzle so that you can figure out the future and God's ultimate plan. A lot of people have tried to do that and a lot of people have been wrong along the way. But I do want you to hear me right on this. Like other things in the Bible that we as followers of Jesus in contemporary times can veer off on one side or the other, this is another one of those places. Because some people tend to get stuck in what I mentioned above. They get so fixated on the end of time. And they want to figure it out. All they want to do is they want to figure out what's going on. And they want to know which political leader represents X and Y and Z in the Bible. So they can have this road map and they can figure everything out. Which is something the Bible doesn't do. That they miss the point And they forget to live with faithfulness in the present time. They forget to, to do what the angel commanded Daniel to do, which is to go your way. To go your way and to live your life. But on the other hand, a lot of people read these kinds of things and just sort of shrug their shoulders. Um, they take you know, what people have humorously called a, a pan-millennial view of the end times. And that means that they don't have any idea what's going on, but they know that it will all pan out in the end. Um, I, I heard that. that was, that's a seminary joke. It's a bad one. It's like a theology nerd joke, and it's not good, but anyway. Um, But the truth is, I actually have a pretty defined view, personally, of the end times. It affects how I live my life right now, but here's what I would say. That's not the point of this passage, and it's not really the point of Daniel 7 through 12. The point of Daniel 12 is an encouragement for you. To live your life faithfully to God, faithfully to Jesus, no matter what discouragement or even suffering comes your way because the end of the story has been revealed. The end of the story is the final full victory of Jesus over all evil. And so no matter what comes your way right now, you know what the future holds, eternal life. For those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in him. And we do that by fixing our hope on the victory of Jesus. So, by way of simple conclusion in the whole book of Daniel, I want us to ask ourselves, how do we do that? And there are two things that I want us to walk away from this entire sermon series with on how to live our lives faithfully as followers of Jesus in the present, in light of the future, certainty of the, of the coming of Christ. And at first, it is by faithfully engaging the world. And second, it is by living by grace. Our call as followers of Jesus is to faithfully engage in the world by living by grace. So first, we're called to live in light of the future by faithfully engaging the world in the present. Now, it takes great wisdom to live in this world as a follower of Jesus. But when the heavenly being tells Daniel to go his way, he is encouraging Daniel to continue living his life in Babylon, in captivity, in an environment that was hostile to a lot of the things that he believed and held true in the same way that he had. Just let's remember a little bit the life of Daniel as we kind of walk away from this book. Daniel, when he was very young, probably a young teenager, was kidnapped from his home in his hometown, Jerusalem, by an invading army, the Babylonians, and he was taken into exile and in captivity in a land that he was not his own. He showed great promise as a leader, and so he was brought into the court of the king of Babylon, a man known as Nebuchadnezzar, and while he was there, he was in training, he was groomed in what the scripture tells us in the early part of Daniel, in the language and the literature of the Chaldeans, meaning. That Daniel, a follower of God, was steeped in an education that taught him a ton of things that are not true. A ton of things, like a polytheistic worldview where there are multiple gods, and your job is to find out which God controls which thing and to get that God on your good side so good things will happen to you. Like astrology, trying to look up at the stars and figure out the future based upon the alignment of the stars. Like divination calling out to the dead or to ghosts to find out your way in the future. All of these things are forbidden in the Bible. And all of these things Daniel was steeped in education of and learned because he had to, because he was in Nebuchadnezzar's court. He engaged this, but he did so without compromising what he knew to be true. So Later on, when another king, Darius, made a proclamation that nobody should pray to anybody but him, Daniel did not obey that. He got down on his knees, as he did three times every day, and he prayed to the God of Israel, regardless of the consequences. But while he was doing that, while he was remaining faithful to God, do you know what Daniel was doing? He was living in Babylon... He was serving pagan kings. He was trying to make them successful. He was trying to make this place that he had to live in by force and not by choice a better place. He was trying to help people around him thrive and not to suffer. He was engaged in the world with faithfulness to God. And this is one major thing that I want you to walk away with from the book of Daniel. His call to engage with faithfulness is your call. We do not live, we do not live in what could be called a Christian culture. A culture in which the, way, the ethic of Christianity pervades everything. And so even those people who are not actually Christian sort of, sort of live um, through what could be understood as a Judeo-Christian ethic. We don't live there anymore. We're, we're some, in some places in America, is more than others, and, and Houston has one foot in it and one foot out of it, maybe, I don't know, maybe four, foot, four toes in it and six out of it, I don't know. But uh, how many toes do we have? T- ten, yeah. Um, but, but, but this is not a Christian culture. We live in many ways in the land of Babylon, just like Daniel did, and God would have us engage in a mission to represent him here the way that he had Daniel in Babylon. Not hate where we live, not hate who we live around, not ignore where we live, and not ignore who we live around, but also not accommodate ourselves to where we live and who we live around. It is to engage where we live and who we live around with truth and love. You know, If you've ever read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you've probably seen this. But unless you actually sit back and you think about it for a little while, it's actually hard to really understand the import of this. But when Jesus was engaged in his preaching and teaching ministry, largely the three years since he announced himself on the scene and before he went to the cross, he was constantly, constantly, all three of those years, and, and and put yourself in his shoes for a second. He was constantly being condemned by religious people. Religious people did not like Jesus. They didn't. And do you know why religious people didn't like Jesus? There are a few ways. But one of the main reasons that religious, good, respectable religious people did not like Jesus was because who his friends were. Not just the disciples. The other people that he associated himself with. Because the Bible tells you that when Jesus went to dinner... He would go to dinner with tax collectors who were greedy liars and cheaters and collaborators with an oppressive foreign government. He would go to dinner with prostitutes who in the first century did what they do now. He would go to dinner with, a, with, 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 with people that you couldn't even describe how their lives were morally. There was just this blanket kind of catch-all term called sinners. And these were people that people in polite religious society would not associate with because they thought that what their, that their sin would rub off on them or being associated with them would rub off on them. They would not associate with him, let alone share a meal with them. And so they condemned him. They condemned Jesus for his associations. And when they did, Jesus did not get angry. He simply said what is true. Hey, I'm a physician. I didn't come to heal the well, I came to heal the sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but to call sinners and to call them to repentance and to faith in him. He had to be with them, to hear their stories, to speak to them the gospel, to touch them physically and to heal them. This is what Jesus came to do. My question for me, and this is a really uncomfortable question for me. I don't really like this question, but I ask it anyway. Who are the modern day tax collectors, prostitutes, and sinners? Who are the people in Houston that, if you are a polite religious person, you would refuse to associate with? I often wonder, I really do. I, I, I'm a pastor, and that means I hang around with Christians a lot. All the people that I work with are Christians. You probably, you, I bet you cannot say that. I, I might be the only person in this room that can say that. All the people I work with are Christians. But uh, I often wonder in my own life if anyone would ever lob an accusation at me that they lobbed at Jesus. Look at that Clay Holland guy. Look at who his friends are. Good grief. Look at those people. I, that, not so much. And I don't say that to my credit. I actually say that to my shame. That is not good. But what about you? Is there any part of your life where you are open to an accusation that you hang out a lot with sinful or broken people? Because you deeply love them and you long and desire for them to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and to believe in him and to be transformed by him and to be made new and to be made whole and to inherit eternal life. Would anyone ever look at your list of friends and shake their head and maybe even say something nasty about you on Facebook? Like, how can he? How can she possibly be with that person? That's a question we really need to ask if we are serious about following Jesus as he is instead of how it is that we want him to be. Now, of course, there's balance here. Engagement is not the same thing as accommodation. Jesus spent all of that time with all of those people, but do you know what Jesus never did? He never sinned, ever. In thought, word, or deed, Jesus did not sin. So engagement is not the same thing as accommodation. Daniel strove to engage while remaining faithful to God. And that is where we must cultivate the wisdom that is necessary to discern whether our desire is simply to consume what the world offers us or to walk into it as ambassadors of Christ, as instruments of the gospel in order to bring to bear the marks of the kingdom of God. This is why it is the vision of this church to do two things, both to reach and to renew. To engage Houston with the gospel and to do that, we cannot just build a big, gigantic, we have enough property to build a moat around us, you know, a a big one. And to raise up drawbridges and to only let good people in. But that would be unfaithful of us. That would be unfaithful to the call of the church. But we're also called to renew, to gather for worship, to teach the scriptures, to foster purposeful relationships, to strengthen ourselves, to take great risks for Jesus. That's faithful engagement. That's the first call. The second call is to actually answer the question, how do we do that? And we'll conclude by this. Will we faithfully engage by living by grace? When the heavenly being tells Daniel twice in chapter 12 to go his way, he does not say, go in your strength. He doesn't say that. He says, go live your life but everything, and this is not an exaggeration, everything in the book of Daniel is about God's sovereign control over all of history and his final victory over sin and death at the return of Jesus. So this means that our call to engage the world is not our call to do it in our own power. We go united to Christ and filled with the Holy Spirit. This is God's gift to us we do not get it by earning it by being good people he gives it to us freely therefore our call is to live our lives by grace remember chapter 3 Shadrach Meshach and Abednego thrown into the fiery furnace for refusing Nebuchadnezzar's golden image his call to bow down and worship him did they save themselves they did not save themselves Nebuchadnezzar looked up and behold there was a fourth being, one like a son of man, in that fiery furnace with them, and he ushered them out of that place unharmed, saved by grace. Remember chapter 6 Daniel, cast down into a den of lions for defying Darius' command not to pray to God. Did he save himself? He did not. God sent an angel into the lion's den to shut the lion's mouth. He walked out unharmed, saved by grace. The major point of the book of Daniel, and this is what I want to leave you with, is it the same Savior, the same God who saved Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who saved Daniel, who will fully and finally defeat sin and evil, At some point in the undefined future is the same Savior who walks with you today as you live in a world that is not the way that it is supposed to be, that is still under sway in many ways the power of the devil. But if you're a follower of Jesus, your call is to engage into this world, not to run away from it, but to engage it, united to Jesus, living by his grace because his victory ultimately is your victory as well. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your grace and your mercy. Help us to live by it. We love you and we thank you for rescuing us by your grace and for walking with us into the world. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.